so Jonah sent out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you, as we do every week that we gather together, we ask you to be here in our midst, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So Jonah, this, this is a story that's difficult to stomach, am I right? Uh, okay, never make a pun again. Uh, it's a dangerous way to start a sermon. I know if there's anyone here for the first time, they're like, oh no, this is what this guy is like. I promise my humor is normally a paragon of refinement. I only make that pun ironically, knowing that it's not actually funny. Unless you thought it was funny, in which case I'm like this all the time. <laughs> but Jonah is a tough one, right? Man swallowed by fish. Man lives in fish. Man spit out by fish. Man goes on his merry way. Uh, Christians have, at least in these modern, enlightened times, had some serious trouble dealing with this and stories like this. Early last week, just about a week ago, a very respected evangelical writer and teacher recorded a video on his YouTube channel and then, of course, made the mistake of tweeting a link to it in which he argued that it would be good for the church's witness and unity if we at least allowed for the possibility that the flood of Noah was not a global event, but was rather a local phenomenon. And so began the great Twitter flood discourse of 2024. <laughs> you know how these things go on Twitter, right? Everyone has to weigh in, tweets fly back and forth, occasionally someone will get accused of heresy or of compromising the gospel, and then the whole thing is over in two days. But I'm not interested at all in Twitter feuds, and this sermon is not about Noah's flood. Although I suppose it's worth saying here for just a moment that there's no biblical reason to think that the flood was anything less than a global event. The context suggests a global flood. Moses says that the water covered all the mountains under the entire heavens. Jesus says in both Matthew and Luke that the flood prefigures his own second coming and judgment. Certainly a worldwide event and Noah is symbolic of humanity in the same way that Adam is. He's like a restart of the Lord's worldwide be fruitful and multiply commandment. And finally, the rainbow, the sign of God's covenant with Noah, is seen in all places and at all times and assures us that God will never again destroy the whole world. But I promise you that this sermon is not about Noah. This sermon is about Jonah. But the reason that I mentioned the great Twitter flood discourse of 2024, which you can scroll back and find online if you're really interested, it's only about six days ago, is the hesitance to accept the biblical description of a worldwide flood, those who would argue that it must just be a local event, the hesitance seems to me to come from the same place as the common hesitance to accept the biblical story of Jonah. A global flood? 
that sounds impossible. A man swallowed and then spit out by a great fish? That's impossible too. So many Christians, I think some well-meaning, like the guy who kicked off that Twitter feud, who want to make our faith more palatable to the world, and of course some who are merely deconstructing their faith altogether, many people want to find a way to argue that these things didn't happen, don't need to have happened, and so on. Or they just, la, 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 want to ignore them altogether. And like I said, sometimes this project is well-meaning, explaining away or ignoring the supposedly silly, miraculous, or hard-to-believe parts of the story is certainly the prevailing project for those who are trying to make Jesus and Christianity more acceptable, at least as they see it, to the world at large. A more friendly faith, supposedly. And so you lose things like miraculous healings, pesky sexual rules, and certainly no people being swallowed by great fish or worldwide floods. Anything that doesn't seem realistic or jibe with modern science or that we just don't like can be called allegory, imagery, symbolism, or poetry or get just left out altogether. And I understand the impulse. I want everyone to become a Christian too. And I'm tempted to remove any barrier that might stand in anyone's way. But let me suggest to you that if we can't believe that God flooded the whole earth, or that a man was swallowed and then spit out by a great fish, if those things are impossible... Why would we believe that Jesus could be raised from the dead? If God can't anoint a whale to do his miraculous bidding, how could he bear the sins of the world? God must be able to do anything, or else maybe he can't do much of anything, which is exactly where this kind of reasoning ends up and is exactly where we cannot go. So with that in mind, let's rewind from Jonah 3, which is our reading, go back to Jonah chapter 1, and look at everything that happens to this poor man. So in our reading, as you heard, Jonah hears from God, go to Nineveh, and he goes. But that's chapter 3. A lot has happened in the interim. The first time that Jonah hears this word from God, go to Nineveh, he has a little bit of a different reaction. Here's how the book of Jonah begins. Very first verse of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down to it, and to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah goes to the port. That's good. He gets on a boat. Still good. But he gets on a boat going the exact other way from the way the Lord has called him to go. God tells Jonah what to do. Preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah 
immediately sets out in the exact opposite direction. But of course, disobeying the Lord in this direct way is not without repercussion. As Jonah is on the ship sailing away from Nineveh, God sends a great storm after him. And Jonah, realizing that this storm is God's judgment on his disobedience, tells the other sailors to pick him up and throw him into the sea. In verse 12, Jonah says, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And the moment Jonah is thrown into the sea, the storm stops. But does Jonah drown? No. Here is where something extraordinary happens, something more extraordinary than what has already happened. Something that we, in a misguided attempt to make our faith acceptable to the skeptic and the doubter, something we might be tempted to avoid or to explain away. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There you have it. You can see why so-called progressive or enlightened Christians avoid this story. Or the idea of things like a literal seven-day creation or a literal worldwide flood. Because this is all ridiculous, right? A great fish? Come on. Three days and three nights? And it only gets worse after Jonah spends chapter 2... Praying to God from the belly of the fish, we get this verse, chapter 2 and verse 10, the very last verse of the chapter. Quote, this is the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Mmm. Anyone want sushi for lunch? It's ironic to me, though, that we're so resistant, as I even feel in myself. To this aspect of the story. Somewhere deep down, we want this to be allegory or metaphor or poetry and not some miraculous occurrence. And it's ironic because we're Christians. We are miracle people. This is a story about the mercy of Almighty God, a story about the mercy of the same God who spoke creation into existence from nothing, who spoke to Moses through a bush that was burning but not consumed, who brought his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt, not around a sea, but directly through it on dry land. This is a story about the God whose son was beaten, scourged, executed on a Roman cross, laid in a tomb, and then rose from the dead on the third day. Surely, a God such as that can appoint and speak to a great fish. Because here's the truth. We need such a God as this to do the very thing that Jonah objected to, to send a messenger to preach to a sinful and rebellious People. If our God can't create and assign a fish to swallow a man and spit him back out again, how can we trust him to save us? 
to give us his own righteousness and to call us on account of Christ, his good and faithful children. We need this God who will and who can do all manner of things that we would otherwise find unbelievable. Because that's what's going on in this story. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to reintroduce them to him. The Ninevites have forgotten God. They've become rebellious sinners, and God wants them back. So he tells Jonah, go, preach to them, have them repent and be reconciled to me. And Jonah refuses. We see him go to the port and get on a ship going the other way. He doesn't want the Ninevites to get God's mercy. After all, he thinks they don't deserve it. And the best part, not the best part, but the funniest part, is that at the end of the book, after Nineveh has actually repented and been restored to God, Jonah is still mad about it. He prays, Lord, I told you this was going to happen when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste to flee. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew that God would forgive. And he didn't want these sinners to get God's forgiveness. Jonah only wants God to come to those who deserve him. And so now God has to show Jonah and us the truth. And to do it, he speaks into Jonah's life in two ways. These same two words of God that we find ourselves talking about Time and again, words of commandment and words of promise. First, the commandment. Disobedience, God says, deserves judgment. He tells Jonah he's going to bring judgment on these rebellious people, but Jonah, in the story, actually gets the judgment that he wants God to give to Nineveh. Right? God sends a storm to judge Jonah's disobedience. His faithlessness, because there is no running away from God. We can run like Jonah does and hide, but God will always find us. God is not mocked, and sin, under this first word of God, this first commandment, this first law of God, sin gets punished. So God sends a storm and gets Jonah thrown overboard. That's bad news for faithless and disobedient sinners everywhere. People like you and me. But the word of commandment is not God's final word. Because finally, in the midst of all this disobedience, and even in the midst of God's judgment on Jonah for that disobedience, there is the promise. There is good news God comes to the undeserving. He comes to the sinful, to the disobedient. And amazingly in this story, he sends and appoints a great fish to save Jonah. The fish isn't part of Jonah's judgment. The fish is saving Jonah's life. And it's in the belly of the fish that Jonah prays to God, saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is our prayer, your prayer and mine. When we're caught out like Jonah, found to be living our lives in open rebellion against God, going in the exact opposite direction from the one in which he has asked us to go, when we find ourselves drowning, drawing our last breath, this is what we can pray. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation does not belong to us, to you or to me or to Jonah, who would dole it out only to those who we think are deserving. Salvation belongs to God, who in Christ gives it to sinners. The story of Jonah is all about grace. God's grace for Nineveh, a city of sinful, rebellious people who do not deserve God's love. But God is faithful and sends them a messenger proclaiming repentance and redemption. But God's grace for that messenger, Jonah, who resists, who is unfaithful, who is rebellious. But God, in the face of his rebellion, is faithful. And appoints a great fish to save his life and to reset him on his mission. And so in chapter 3, when God's word comes again to Jonah, Jonah goes, preaches, and repentance is at hand. God's grace is so powerful that in its saving of a sinner, it actually reorients him and puts him on a path of faithful duty. And service. So you, you are Nineveh. You are sinful and rebellious. God has sent his messenger, Jesus Christ, who, like Jonah, spent three days in darkness to proclaim by his life, death, and resurrection a message of repentance, redemption, and new life. You are also Jonah, annoyed that God chooses to redeem those who don't deserve it. And so God will remind you that you don't deserve it either. And then in the very midst of your sin and rebellion, God in Christ redeems you. When you are drowning, God is faithful and his grace comes in the most miraculous and unexpected ways. There is something in your life that is the equivalent of a great fish that nobody but you would believe 
but is absolutely true. There is nowhere you can run, no matter how far, that can get you out of the reach of God's saving grace. Nowhere. Your sin runs far, but God's grace runs farther. And by that grace of God in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, you are saved. Amen.